morning and open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 10. First book in the Bible, if you're using your church Bibles here, it's page number 12. For those of you joining us uh, today, we are going through a survey of the first five books of the Old Testament. And we start with Genesis about uh, uh, four, four or five weeks, something like that ago. This is the fifth message in the series through Genesis, walking through Genesis. We're going to be looking at um, chapters 10, 11, and the first three verses of chapter 12 this morning in our time together. The title of this message is, The God Who Fulfills His Plans Despite Human Resistance. Let me repeat that. The title is, The God Who Fulfills His Plans Despite Human Resistance. In these chapters, we're going to see how a sovereign and a wise God always has the last say when it comes to all matters of life. Let's look to the Lord before we look at the text. Father, we are so thankful that you have brought us together. I lift up those in the assembly that are not keeping well and many are down with the flu or cold, things like that. I pray that your hand of mercy will rest upon them. And even on their bed of illness, that they might reflect on your glories, Lord Jesus. And in your time, according to your goodwill, please grant them healing. Until then, give them the grace to sustain what you have ordained for them to go through. And we also pray that you will open the eyes of our heart to see what you have in this text. And work in our hearts also, Lord, to not resist your will in any of uh, any of our lives, but to completely surrender to it, even though at times it may seem hard, uh, it may seem uh, not to make a whole lot of sense, but uh, would you please uh, help us to yield to your goodwill, because in the end, uh, uh, that is what will be uh, accomplished uh, according to your plans and purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In his famous uh, book, uh, in his book, uh, the title is Famous Junkies, uh, The Hidden Truths Behind America's Favorite Addiction. Jake Halpern, a journalist, uh, he wanted to understand more about the culture's love for fame. So he writes about visiting a convention for child star wannabes. Walking through the hotel lobby where this convention was being held, he felt a, a tug at his elbow. It was a young man... Uh, uh, about uh, 20 years old, by the name of Brent. Um, he approached him and he said, Excuse me, sir, would it be okay if I give you my headshot? That's a common thing, you know, they give you the pictures. So he said, uh, Sure. And uh, then the guy gave this uh, large, glossy photo of himself with his name spelled out in big capital letters, you know. And Brent went on to say, as uh, Jake was talking to him, I'd like to be a celebrity. To be honest with you, I'd like the whole deal. I see the celebrities on TV who don't like their picture getting taken, and I cannot understand it. I want it all. I want the money. I want the women. I want the publicity. I want the people hounding me around to trying to take my picture. I know that sounds really bad. It makes me sound conceited, but I guess in a sense I am. At least he was open and honest, right? But Halpern discovered that it's not just children or 
young people who want to make a name for themselves. Later he visited the Hollywood's premier retirement home called Woodland Hills. There he met a man named Hal Riddle. Hal was 85 years old at that time. He was a former character actor. Throughout his career, Riddle wanted to make it to the big time movies, but he never got the break. He was uh, he played small roles in TV shows like Charlie's Angels and the famous Little House on the Prairie and Mary Tyler Moore show. Nothing ever turned him into a household name. Yet at the age of 85, he still clung to the hope that fame was still within his grasp. This is what he said to Jake. Fame is really an addiction. And when it takes you as a child and when you build on it your whole life even if you look around and all you see is ruins you just can't leave the ruins Folks that's what we see in Genesis 10 and 11 When we go after a name for ourselves it ends up in ruins ends up in ruins Jake was honest uh, in, in recording these uh, conversations of uh, Brent as well as uh, uh, Riddle. You can't leave the ruins. You can't leave the ruins. And, and, and even Christians, professing born again, baptized believers, have this struggle. We want fame. We want to want to make a name for ourselves. be it in the secular world or even in ministry we find ourselves addicted to this sometimes helpless even though we have left behind ruin after ruin after ruin it's so appealing it sometimes has its grip on us i pray that today as we work our way through the text that is before us we will not only realize the dangers the deadly dangers of being addicted to pursuing fame in this world and the resulting inability of leaving the ruins of such empty pursuits but positively we will realize that how we can live a life completely free from such a powerful addiction and live the joyful and contented life that Jesus Christ calls and enables us to live Look at me at Genesis chapter 10 beginning in verse 1 that starts out by saying this is the account of Shem, Ham and Japheth Noah's sons who themselves had sons after the flood. Last time we were in Genesis we saw chapter 6 through 9. Noah, his three sons, his Noah's wife and his daughter-in-law, the three daughter-in-laws, eight of them went into the ark and they came out safe. The universal flood wiped out everyone and so now god is going to repopulate the whole earth he's renewing the face of the earth and genesis 10 gives the account of uh, the descendants that came through these three sons of noah the rest of the chapter verses 2 uh, and following give us details about the family tree of the three sons with special attention given to one descendants of one son shem because it was through shem God would bring Abraham the rest of the book really focuses moving towards Abraham moving towards uh, the, the nation Israel through whom the promised uh, seed the messiah would eventually come verses 2 through 5 of chapter 
described the descendants of Japheth with a special note in verse 5. Verse 5 says, From these, the descendants of Japheth, these maritime, the maritime peoples spread out into their territories by their clans within their nations, each with its own language. Until now, in the flow of Genesis, we are not told about various languages. Where did this come from? It actually, we read about that in the next chapter, verses 1 through 9. But Moses, what he wants the, his readers most likely to see is the continuity between chapters 9 and 10 in terms of how a faithful God, in keeping with this word, is multiplying the descendants. So he arranges uh, the, the chapters, not chronologically, but in a way for us to see, as God promised Noah, that m descendants will multiply through him. He's keeping that flow of thought before he explains to us how the various languages came to be. And then in verses uh, 6 through uh, 20, after describing the descendants of Japheth, Moses gives the descendants of Ham. Uh, I want to I want to draw your attention to two particular names here. First, I want to draw your attention to verses 8 through 10. Here we read about Cush, the son of Ham. He became the father of Nimrod. What's significant about Nimrod? Nimrod was the one who built the city of Babylon. And that has a, a significance here in this passage. I Look at verses 8 through 10 with me. Cush was the father of Nimrod who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And that is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Verse 10, the first centers of his kingdom were, there's the first name, Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, and Kalne in Shinar. Shinar, Shinar has the idea of Babylonia. That's the entire plain there. Second, I want to draw your attention to verses 15 through 19, where we read about the descendants of Canaan the Canaanites and how they came into existence. This would be pertinent. Remember the Jews are going through the wilderness. They are going to enter the promised land and the promised land is filled with Canaanites. So by Moses giving this description, he's preparing them. Okay, this is how the Canaanites came to be the descendants of Ham. Verse 15, Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn and of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Girgasites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Arvadites, Zemarites, and Hamathites. Later the Canaanite clans scattered, and the borders of Canaan reached from Sidon towards Gerar, as far as Gaza, and then towards Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim, as far as Lasha. And all these places, all these different people groups, whereas God would say, they were like thorns on the side of God's people. And many of them today still are. And finally, Moses goes on to describe the descendants of Shem in verses 21 through 31. He'll expand more on the list of Shem's descendants in the second part of chapter 11 so that he brings the focus onto Abraham and then he'll lead to Abraham in chapter 12. Again, in this list, I'd like to point out two names before we move on. First is the name Eber. Look at the second part of verse 21. It says, Shem was the ancestor of all the sins of Eber. Eber is the name from which we get the term Hebrew. And it is through Eber we get the group of people the Bible calls as Hebrews or Jews. The Jewish people, the father of whom was Abraham. 
The second in this list I want us to quickly see is Peleg in verse 25. Two sons were born to Eber. One was called Peleg. Footnote says Peleg means division. Because in his time the earth was divided. His brother was named Jaktan. So it was most likely the divisions or the scattering of the people which we are going to see in chapter 11 occurred during Peleg's time. So now we get to chapter 11. This is where we read how the people got scattered all over the world and how various languages came into existence. Here is the origin of different languages. Throughout the world, where did they come from? How did they come? Genesis 11 gives us those details. Verse 1 sets the stage for us. Now the whole world had one language. Literally it's one lip and a common speech, one set of vocabulary. No division, perfect harmony in terms of conversation. But notice what these people did. Instead of using this gift of a common language to obey God, verse 12 tells us that as they moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, that's the land of Babylonia, and settled there. It may seem harmless when you just look at the text there, they settled there. But this actually was a direct violation of God's command to spread out and fill the earth. In Genesis 9.1, God had commanded them to fill the earth. And again in 9.7, God commanded them to multiply on the earth. He wanted them to spread. Despite these clear commands of God, they stubbornly chose to do the exact opposite. Settle in one place. Why? Most likely fear in terms of the unknown in spreading away to different places instead of faith in the God who gave the command. Whatever the reason, it was clearly a direct act of rebellion against the clear command of God. They decided their way was a better way than God's way. Folks, you and I do the same thing often. Many times we know what God's word says regarding a particular issue. Yet, maybe it's fear, or maybe it's the love for that sin that we're not to participate in that makes us knowingly, willingly, wholeheartedly rebel against God's clear command. We might even come up with statements like, but there was nothing else I could do. The situation was difficult. I had no other choice. No matter what we say to convince our guilty conscience or even justify before others, our actions, when they are contrary to God's word, prove that we have concluded our way is better than God's way. I lived my life my own way. It's the popular slogan of the world, but we Christians sometimes might not openly say it, but often that's how we live our lives. And when we follow our heart's desire, when it's contrary to God's word, we commit the sin of pride, which then, what? Gives birth to many other sins. That's exactly what happened in this incidence here. Look at verses 3 through 4. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves 
Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. The group of people, most likely led, led by Nimrod, whom we saw in the previous chapter, they started building the city. But as they started building the city, they also started building a tower that reaches to the heavens. What's the significance of the tower? Some people think the tower was like a safe place of refuge because earlier the earth was flooded. So if we build a tower, we can reach higher and avoid getting drowned. In other words, they wanted to find security in their own creation rather than in God's promise. And what was God's promise? The rainbow promised what? I will never ever flood the world again. Again, they relied on their own wisdom instead of the clearly revealed word of God. But I don't think that's the whole reason. That could be part of the reason. I think the reason they built this tower is because the tower had a religious significance. The tower they built is called in the ancient world as the ziggurat. Z-I-G-G-U-R-A-T. Ziggurat. Archaeologists have actually, this is kind of the picture there. The, the, the ziggurat is these large structures built for religious purposes. It was like a pyramid. Each successive level were recessed so that you could walk on top of the steps there. And on the top was a special shrine, like a little temple, dedicated to a god or goddess. In building this, it was not like the people were trying to reach to the heavens. The idea was the god or goddess would come and meet them there. It was a meeting point, so they could go and meet with God. The structure in the city were called Babel, which actually means the gate of the gods. That's what they had in mind. On top was that opening. The stairs actually would be on the side there. So this is, this is the structure they built. It's a magnificent structure. I mean, look at the creativity of these people. God gives them wisdom because they're created in the image of God. He gives them wisdom. He gives them so much talent. And they take all that wisdom and talent. And guess what? They form a way of false worship. They rejected God's way of worshipping him. False religions had their foundation here. Cain started it. But when the flood wiped that generation away, as a new generation came, here again you have the same thing. Inclination of the human heart, every thought, evil all the time. That's why scriptures frequently refer to Babylon as the seat of all false religions. Revelation 17.5 In the end, when the Antichrist comes, sets up the whole false system, Revelation 17.5 says this, The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes. Mother is the one who gives birth to all false religions. Started from Babylon and of the abominations of the earth. When Jesus Christ comes and wipes away, it's this whole Babylon, this whole spiritual false system will be completely gone. But at this time, it's breeding one false religion after another. Here at Babel were a group of people led by Nimrod, trying to establish their own way of false worship, a picture of the coming one world leader, the Antichrist, trying to lead people into the ultimate form of false worship, embracing Satan. Notice what happened next. Back to Genesis 11 verse 5 now. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. Interesting, isn't it? The people built a high tower 
but the lord seated in the highest heavens still had to come down the mightiest efforts of puny man are still so insignificant in the eyes of god when god is not part of it the lord said if as one people speak in the same language they have begun to do this then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them realizing the potential of people to do greater evil god puts a restraint on them so he passed a judgment on them by confusing their language it is interesting what held them together was a common language and god struck them right at that area right at that area were seven come let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other please note that the first instance of language confusion in the bible came as a result of human pride here's the first time there's a confusion regarding languages or tongues and it's a result of what human pride good to keep that in mind when you read first corinthians chapters 12 through 14 when it comes to the subject of confusion about tongues or languages in the proud church at corinth verse 8 so the lord scattered them from over there from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city that is why it was called babel god gave them a name now babel means confusion because there the lord confused the language of the whole world from there the lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth here's the accurate description of how various languages came into existence the lord brought this about again it's a miracle but it came as a result of god's judgment scattered scattered where pride rules confusion rules clear isn't it half built tower all their labors brought to a sudden halt they had to leave the project in ruins they strived so much to make a name for themselves notice so that we may make a name for ourselves verse 4 this was their goal make a name for ourselves and what they had in the end to show ruins ruins that's what human pride gets at the end either it will be a ruin now or when one stands before christ either at the judgment seat or before the great white throne it will be clearly evident the stuff that we do for our self glory will end up in ruins sinful and finite human beings can fight all that they want against an all powerful and sovereign god but in the end pride will never win against this great god a sovereign god will always accomplish his purposes despite human resistance god wanted people to spread and multiply they thought their plan was better but god in the end said no my plans my purposes will always prevail nothing can thwart that in this process you bring greater pain upon yourselves when you resist my will god's goal was accomplished and as god did that he also moved in a specific direction now to accomplish his redemptive purposes through one man abram later would be called as abraham god would build a nation and bring that redeemer that he promised in genesis 3:15 to crush satan's head that's why the rest of chapter 11 
focuses on the genealogy of Shem, one of Noah's sons through whom Abraham would come. Please look at the chart that gives this picture instead of going through all the text. This chart gives you clearly from Shem how the line comes down there. I want you to focus on when you come to the bottom there, you see Terah. From Terah comes three sons, Nahor, Abraham and Haran. And Haran has his son Lot. And those are the key players as we move into Genesis 12. Abraham and uh, Lot over there. Verses 29 and 30 of chapter 11 introduce us to Sarai, the wife of Abram, and the fact that she was barren because that's setting the stage for the next few chapters. God would change her name to Sarah later in Genesis 17, verse 15 and verses 31 through 32 sets the stage for God immediately moving into the life of Abram. Verse 31, Terah took his son Abram his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abraham, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. It was Haran that God calls Abraham. Abraham. When God called Abraham, according to Genesis 20, uh, I'm sorry, Joshua 24, verse 2, Abraham was an idol worshipper, a moon worshipper. So God called a pagan, a pagan. And this pagan, by faith, responds to God. And it's through him, God would build a nation. That's what the rest of Genesis moves towards. Look at chapter 12. Verses 1 through 3. We're going to come back to this uh, next time. and But I want to include this in today's message. So you, I want to point out a contrast here. In Genesis 12 verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram. Go from your country. Your people and your father's household. To the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you. I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. There are multiple I wills and bless and blessing in, involved here. But I just want you to focus on one specific thing, the second part of verse 2. What does God give Abram this promise? I will make your name great. Genesis 11, contrast there, verse 4. We may make a name for ourselves. Genesis 12, God says, I will make your name great. Which name is remembered today? We don't have anyone's names of Genesis 11 even recorded for us. What God is telling us is this. Let me do the work in you. You don't strive for recognition. You don't strive for fame. It will come down as ruins. Half-built towers. You walk with me. You walk with me. It's important for us to remember that. If we by faith, like Abraham did, obey God's call as rest of chapter 12 explains to us and walk in his ways, we will make our name to be remembered for eternity. Jesus said this in the second part of Luke chapter 10 and verse 22, his disciples and us by extension Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
Don't strive to make a name for yourself in this world. Rejoice. Your names are written in heaven and those names were written even before you were born. Our names are written in heaven. Don't rejoice in earthly successes or get down by a lack of being recognized in this world, Jesus says. But rejoice in this heavenly reality. For eternity, your names are written in heaven and that cannot be blotted out. That and that alone should be the cause for your joy and contentment and to be free from pursuing fame in this world. In fact, in the book of Revelation, Jesus promises this to those who would faithfully stay on the narrow path, the path of self-denial and rejecting the things of this world. Revelation 2.17 Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, that's key. To the one who is victorious, meaning one who stays the course, this narrow path. I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. As though it's not sufficient that our names are written in heaven, our gracious and extremely generous and loving Savior promises to give us a new name to each one of us in eternity who would endure this present life by clinging to his promises. So the question for you and me is this, will we pursue making a name for ourselves in this world and end up in ruin like the people of Genesis 11? Or will we be content with our names written in heaven and follow Jesus no matter the cost here on earth and wait for that day in the future when Jesus himself will give us a new name, a name that will last through all eternity. No. Now, you might, if you're honest, say, I want to be content with following Jesus. I want to just rejoice in the fact that my name is written in heaven. I don't want to be like the people of Genesis 11. I really don't want to pursue a name for myself, but I find myself powerless from escaping from this deadly trap. I find myself going back again and again, even though I keep falling, even though one thing after another is ending up in ruin, or even if it succeeds, I find this emptiness. I still find myself drawn to this. If that's your situation, if you're open and honest about it, allow me to remind to you what Jesus did by his death and his resurrection and his ascension that will hopefully Break the power of the sinful addiction in pursuing a name for yourself. The scene is the day of Pentecost. Forty days after Jesus rose from the dead, after forty days after he ascended, the day the Holy Spirit was given to the church as recorded in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Verse 4 of Acts chapter 2 tells us this, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. So there was about 120 people in the upper room. Spirit comes upon them and they're speaking in other tongues, other languages as the Holy Spirit enabled them. The crowd that come over for Passover, Jewish crowd, shocked to see this happen. Notice their response in verses 7 through 11. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? There's about 15 languages, language groups given here. 
Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. The miracle is not the miracle of hearing, but the miracle of speaking. These Galileans, these 120 people, they actually spoke human languages that they did not know, but the crowd, people in the crowd, who were familiar with those languages, understood. And what was it they were declaring? The wonders of God in our own languages. This was not some unknown mystical languages. This was actual languages that they understood. What were they proclaiming? The praises of God. Fifteen different language groups. And all this because the Holy Spirit came upon them. What was God trying to communicate? The Lord was uniting people of all backgrounds to have a common language. The situation at Genesis 11 was being reversed. A new era had begun. God was taking all the scattered people showing that one day I'm going to bring people from all different backgrounds. A picture of that is right here in this room. All different backgrounds with one mind, one voice praising the Creator. That's the picture here. It was the, it's the picture of eternity. What is to come? And what is to come? Revelation chapter 7 gives us this picture, verses 9 through 10. John in his vision is seeing. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they crowd, cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. With one voice, people who are scattered in Genesis 11, Jesus by his death and resurrection ascension in sending the Holy Spirit is saying, I am bringing all the judgment of Genesis 11 together, pulling it all together so that humanity, redeemed humanity, can accomplish the purpose for which they were created in the beginning, to worship God with one voice, with one accord. That is why there is no room for racism in the church, no room for division. We are all one in Christ. We may have our different cultural identities, but in Christ, it is one common bond. Praising God through that one spirit given to us. Let me show you seven points of contrast in case you want to get a little better grip of this between the events at Babel, which was judgment, and the day of Pentecost, which was salvation for believers. In a sense, it was judgment against unbelieving Israel. But I want to focus on the salvation part for the believers and Babel. Seven points of contrast. Number one, at Babel, the people gathered in rebellion against God. On the day of Pentecost, believers gathered together to pray and wait for God to act. Upper room, they were praying together. Read Acts chapter 1 and 2. At Babel, the second point of contrast is people sought to climb up to God. But guess what happened on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came down on people. Number three, at Babel, people could no longer understand each other. 
on the day of Pentecost, people could understand each other as they proclaimed the praises of God. Fourth point of contrast, God came to judge the people at Babel, but God, the Holy Spirit, came to indwell believers on the day of Pentecost. Number five, at Babel, people sought to make a name for themselves, but on the day of Pentecost, believers were empowered to proclaim the name of Jesus. Number six, people were scattered all over the world in judgment at Babel, but on the day of Pentecost, believers would be empowered to take the gospel to all parts of the world. You shall be my witnesses in all places. Number seven, one family disintegrated into multiple races and nationalities as a result of people rebelling against God at Babel. On the day of Pentecost, people of different races, different nationalities, brought together as one family, the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Day of Pentecost, a new era has begun. And Jesus Christ, when he returns, will bring that to full completion. So by his death and his resurrection and his ascension and in sending of the Holy Spirit and his continual intercession, Jesus Christ breaks the power of that old Babel spirit that is still inside of us. The spirit that drives us to pursue, to make a name for ourselves in this passing world, the world that mocks and rejects Jesus Christ. Why do we need to make a name for this world that mocks our Savior? Think about this. We crave for fame in the same world that mocks the fame of Jesus Christ. You mock my Savior, yet I'm living for your praise. How does that even make sense? Why do we have to live for the praises of others? Why put ourselves in that bondage, being so conscious of self-image? Why torture ourselves? Young people, hear me and hear me well. Because if you don't break that power now, Hal Riddle is an example. At the age of 85, he couldn't. Don't think tomorrow you can turn the switch off. It doesn't work that way. Habits are hard to break. But if we constantly keep our eyes on Jesus, we can run this race that is marked out for us, a race where we promote Jesus and not ourselves. And the only way we can do that is, first of all, to be united with Jesus Christ. So if you are here, still far away from Jesus, you need to repent of your sin. You cannot climb up to heaven from here. That's why Jesus Christ came down to take us to heaven. You need to repent of your sins. Ask God to open your eyes to see your real condition. With all your baggage, with all your sins, come. Come as you are. He will clean you. He will give you the Holy Spirit who alone can break that power of sin in your life. Don't delay. A new year, you can have a new heart and a new beginning. So come, come. And those of us who by the grace of God have experienced that new birth, we can go back to Him again and again even if we've messed up. Lord, I want a new beginning. Today can be a new beginning. I want to live for you. Promote your name. Your interests, not mine. In fact, 
we must even be bold enough to pray lord break those idols in my life bring them to ruin right now instead of me wasting my time one more day teach me so that i will not cling to these things because it still doesn't come natural we need the holy spirit to keep pointing us to jesus because he and he alone is the ultimate motivation for us to put to death this constant desire to pursue a name and fame for ourselves he is the only one who lived that perfect life a life that was not focused on making a name for himself look at what paul says about jesus in philippians chapter 2 verses 6 through 8 describing jesus he says who being in very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross jesus set aside all the privileges of being the second person of the triune god he did not pursue a name for himself he laid aside those privileges he kept pursuing the will of the father he lived the greatest life of humility a life of not pursuing self glory a life that was focused on obedience to god's will for his life and because of that notice what happens in verses 9 through 11 therefore because jesus lived this kind of a life God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name see God gave him the name Jesus did not pursue a name for himself God the father gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is lord to the glory of God the father once again the choice is clear for us isn't it if we live to promote our own name like the people of babel our life will end up in ruins on the other hand if we live for the will of the father like the son himself did if we follow in his footsteps like abraham did we live to promote the name of this triune god then guess what god will give us that new name jesus will bestow that new name on us according to revelation 2:17 and we can run this race just being content what have i ever done lord to even have my name written in heaven now i look at myself i know the real me and when i look at the real me i'm disgusted i'm a sinner in the light of who you really are yet you have loved me so much given a, a name for me in heaven and a new name is waiting for me for all eternity why why do i have to keep drinking this salt water that will never quench my thirst but i can come to you jesus again and again and again live the water that you give that gives me all the satisfaction i pray that the spirit of god will help us to have that kind of a pursuit in our lives let's pray father you remind us through the prophet jeremiah in jeremiah 45 and verse 5 don't seek great things for yourself help us to heed your warning give us eyes to see jesus the one who died for our sins and rose again as the greatest treasure of our lives help us to be fully satisfied with the fact that because of your mercy and grace our names are already written in heaven because of jesus and because of what he has done on the cross we don't need to make a name for ourselves here on earth
Lord, help us instead to promote Jesus' name and his fame by giving our lives to serving him, by loving him and loving others and promoting their interests all the days of our lives. Help us to do this through your spirit. In Jesus' name, for Jesus' fame we pray. Amen.